Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by SAP Services and Support. I'm your host, as usual, Robin Prince. And today, our topic is one that is very, very important to me. And of course, the speakers that we have, who I will introduce in a minute. And we're going to be talking about mindfulness and emotional intelligence and why they are the keys to a successful engagement, both in life and in business. And our speakers today are Andrew Simon, who is the director of SAP Customer Experience Services in North America, and Peter Bostelman, the chief mindfulness officer at SAP. So thank you both so much for being here with us today. Before we kind of kick off the questions, I would love for you both to just explain how you got into mindfulness and why it matters to you. And Peter, maybe we'll start with you because the title of chief mindfulness officer, uh, you don't hear that a lot. I think it's coming up a little bit more these days, but how does one even get into a role like that? We'll start with you, Peter. Thank you, Robin. And hello and uh, welcome everybody from my side. Feeling really honored to be here on this podcast episode. Well, that's a long story. And to get into that, let me try to get it short. So I'm by background, I'm an industrial engineer and I worked in SAP's field services as a junior consultant up to becoming a delivery executive for almost 15 years. Yeah, I was a skeptic in terms of mindfulness and then, then I became a believer, learned in my private life, to started meditating, started mindfulness practices, and it had a profound shift in the way how I could do my job. And we talk more about all the effects. And that brought me to the point that I started a grassroots initiative with an SAP almost 10 years ago to bring this mindfulness-based trainings for emotional intelligence to the organization. And that I, at one point, now, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, become the chief mindfulness officer. I would have not thought of this in my wildest dreams back then. It's amazing that you say you were a non-believer before. Now, you know, many, many years in the making of your current role as chief mindfulness officer. So I think a lot of people are probably in a similar boat. So it's nice to hear from someone with your background. And Andrew as well, we'll, we'll kick it over to you now to give us a little bit of insight. Yeah, no problem. I'm also really honored to be here. It's a subject that's close to my heart, so I'm really excited to talk about it here with you both today. I actually came into mindfulness and emotional intelligence through the emotional intelligence side. And it was actually my mother-in-law that spurred this kind of interest in me. I was working in a services organization as well at the time in a different company. And she was a high school teacher. And she had one of those seminars that high school teachers have on those pedagogical days. So those days when the kids get to be off of school and it was about emotional intelligence. And we talked about it over a dinner or something like that. And I realized that that was the kind of language that I was missing when speaking to the people in my team and the leadership at the time about the fact that we had really great technical people that could answer questions and you know field calls and all of that. But the human element, those areas where you display customer empathy and kind of really understand what the customer is going through, de-escalating issues and things like this. That was the part that we really had to work on. And this emotional intelligence language helped me to do that. So that was kind of my in. And when I joined SAP about six, six years ago now, yeah, I had already had a pretty regular yoga practice. But mindfulness is something that came about actually through one of the courses at SAP. And I realized like this is a great foundational element to this emotional intelligence concept that I was carrying with me for a while. Yeah. And then I became an ambassador and a teacher and 
it's been a lot of fun for the last couple of years. That's amazing. And as I sit here with my incense burning and my afternoon <laughs> cup of coffee, um, we're going to dive into mindfulness and emotional intelligence and the deeper elements to it, aside from just the surface of meditation and all of that, but really how it comes into play in business and in personal life. We'll kick it off with the first question for both of you. Mindfulness and emotional intelligence are obviously buzzwords these days. Everybody uses them in some context or another. So with the two of you, what exactly are you talking about? And in what context does this carry meaning through SAP? Great question. Let me get started here. Robin, when you earlier said it helped that I'm, I was a skeptic. One key point is that for, for many people, mindfulness is still something a little bit in the esoteric or in the touchy-feely spectrum. And yeah. a lot of what we're doing is finding the right language to explain that this is something based on neuroscience and to demystify that this is practices that really help you to do what you do in a better way. So let's start with the definition. So what is mindfulness? And there are different definitions out. One I find really helpful is that mindfulness is the self-regulation of attention with an attitude of curiosity, openness, and acceptance. So that you learn to become more aware, where is my attention going? Because emotion follows attention. And we have cognitive intelligence and we have emotional intelligence. And right. learning to pay more attention to the emotional intelligence obviously makes us more effective in what we do. And there are many, many studies out since the mid-90s when the term emotional intelligence got coined. And so, yeah, with mindfulness-based emotional intelligence, with the capacity to learn and where's my attention going and how can I regulate where this is going and stay again curious, open and accepting whatever there is. That's actually um, what we're talking about. And let me share an, an example of what this means. And it was just this morning. So I, I had this morning. I mean, I'm, I'm practicing mindfulness since many years, but I'm not a sage. Uh, I'm still a human being <laughs> with a lot of emotions every day. Probably sure. I'm even more, more aware. <laughs> say again. <laughs> I said, sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's always that so, human factor there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you become more aware and you can handle it better. So the story is, yesterday I sent an email to a colleague and I had uh, a certain expectation. And then we had a call this morning and then his response was in a complete different way than I would have hoped for. And I could sense that some strong emotion was building up in my body. I noticed some some tension in my chest and I saw, noticed that, uh, some heat in my cheek. Yeah. And Noticing the signals, I knew, oh, anger is building up. And then I took a few long, conscious in-breaths, out-breaths, down-regulated myself, self-managed myself and said, well, before I lash out, let's see with curiosity. What, where is he coming from and how can we find a common ground? And that's something where I got really better in my, in my working life in handling this and in regulating and then finding to a constructive way. And this, of course, is with colleagues, is with Customers is the same, so that we notice where something pushing me out of my blue zone, of my stable ground into the red zone, where I get like reactive. And that's one example of emotional regulation that really helps us to, to do this better. Yeah. Bringing it back to that comment you made about being human, recognizing when we're feeling a certain way and being able to pull ourselves back and take a moment and breathe and potentially put ourselves into the other person's position and perspective. and figure out where they're coming from that is eliciting these emotions mm -hmm. that they are portraying. I mean, that is a huge part of, as you said, the term self-regulation. So 
Andrew, I know you have a whole lot more to share on this, so I won't, I won't keep going, but we'll kick it over to you. But that's just was top of mind for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in this services and support domain, especially we work with customers quite often, customers who are having other difficulties or want to achieve something. And it happens quite often that you kind of get an email or you're on a phone call or something and you can sense, you can feel that there's something else going on. There's something happening. And Mm. um, if you're able to identify when things are starting to happen for you, and then you're able to kind of manage that in a certain way and say, okay, I need to take a couple breaths. I need to reorient my attention or my intention. You can then start to kind of understand what's happening on the other end of the phone or the other end of the the Zoom and acknowledge that and appreciate that. It happens all the time, but I recently was on a call with a customer and they were visibly upset and visibly, you know, through Zoom. And we kind of took a a pause for a second. We kind of circled back to something that had been an annoyance earlier in the call and, you know, made sure that everything landed properly. And Mm -hmm. that's not because the people on the call had a higher degree of IQ or analytical skills or anything like that. It was understanding and sensing. And these are the kinds of things that emotional intelligence talks about. And on the mindfulness front, yeah, just simply paying attention. We've all been on calls with a service representative of some kind where you realize they are not paying attention to you. Something Mm -hmm. else is happening and you feel it as a consumer. You feel it as someone that's either buying a service or considering buying a service you know it's when they're not paying attention. And Absolutely. mindfulness practices help build that muscle, help you build that yeah. capacity to be attentive. Absolutely. So how does SAP's global mindfulness practice serve our internal employees? I can give a first pass at this. So essentially, we, we have an SAP global mindfulness practice, and we often refer to it as a practice because as mm. uh, Peter said, I mean, we're all human, we're all learning and growing. And that practice is a, has a central team, but it's really championed through regional ambassadors. So people mm-hmm. in the regions who speak to the local companies within SAP, speak to different forums, other employee resource groups like Business Women's Network or other areas where these ambassadors go and champion the ideas around mindfulness and emotional intelligence to kind of bring people along if they so choose to join up and kind of see what's happening. We also have formal trainings about mindfulness. And uh, this training is based around an initiative from Google many years ago, a course that they introduced called Search Inside Yourself. Mm-hmm. And we have internal trainers who have been trained by Google and are able to deliver this training. It's a four half day virtual training two full-day trainings uh, in person when we get back to doing in-person trainings. And these are two of the key ways that we support our whole global community within SAP as it relates to mindfulness. We also have these local groups, these ambassadors hold regular meditation sessions. So practicing, focusing their attention or opening their awareness or any other kind of practice. And we have daily mindful moments that are conducted globally. So employees are able to sign up and join those sessions every day. 
That's incredible. I think it speaks so, so loudly to how seriously we take mindfulness and emotional intelligence inside of SAP. And I really appreciate the fact that it grows through our employees. And Andrew, you're, you're an example of that employees getting involved to then pass it along to one another. I think that Peter, as you started this grassroots foundation, I don't know if that's what you envisioned when you first started, but it certainly has, it's quite impressive how it's grown. So it is really, really incredible to hear and and to see that in action. So not only do we have this practice internally, but we also extend it then to our customers and partners, correct? So how do we go about doing that as well? I start here and I want to make one mild correction. The program was born at Google and it's been taught since 2012 by the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. And this is an organization we are partnering with and we're by now, I'm proud to say, the most biggest partner. And as somebody once jokingly said, SAP did the standard implementation of mindfulness in an organization, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh and was my program management background. And this is really what what happened. I mean, Andrew spoke about the power of community. And by now we have more than 60 certified internal trainers. We did this in several waves, certified by this institute I mentioned. We have close to 100 ambassadors in, in 40 countries all around the world. It's been held and driven by employees that see this is helpful. This is helpful in my daily life. This makes me better in my business and I'm more healthy and I'm more thriving. Let me pass this gift on. And out of this growing community and this growing demand, so we have trained now this internal training to more than 13,000 people, and we currently have a waitlist of about 9,000. So we have a bit of a positive problem. Um, yeah. And some other companies heard about it. We had some media coverage, tech companies doing this in such a scale that they have their own team. And other companies were asking, can you help? And out of that, a small uh, and fine consulting uh, unit has been grown where we offer our best practices in how to actually bring a mindfulness-based training, how to create a global mindfulness practice in other organizations. And we are working with a few other global organizations. And we are now also, after almost 10 years of this journey, we're partnering with the Search and Such Yourself Leadership Institute to together bring an organizational teacher training to other organizations. So to come back to your question, we do trainings in other organizations, we do consulting, like strategy consulting, and we do teacher trainings. So, and I would have never guessed that we would get there. <laughs> um, and at one point, um, yeah, I learned we are a customer-driven organization and, and if customers feel like this is a service we would like to order, um, we build it and it is a quite a yeah. successful story. And yeah. I, I don't want to forget to mention for the external uh, listeners of this podcast, if you're curious, we have an external uh, landing page that describes what we do. It's sap.com slash mindfulness. Easy enough. Easy enough. Yep. Easy enough. <laughs> yeah. And I think you both have mentioned this throughout the podcast thus far, but a lot of people talk about mindfulness, emotional intelligence, almost as a standalone thing, but not very many people take it to the next level of integrating into where it crosses over into business and why it's so important and so effective in, in keeping businesses and, and people and companies progressing forward and also making sure that the employees are healthy mentally, even physically. It translates into the physical body as well. So why is building mindfulness and emotional intelligence capacities important for specifically services and support at SAP? 
Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, a lot of what we do is client-facing. And through that client-facing activity, building capacities around customer empathy are critically important in order to serve the customers in the best way. But also important is to be able to identify for yourself when you're feeling activated, when you're feeling like you're not your best self, when you realize that your attention is waning or you're you know, doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And as I said, customers start to feel that. Mm-hmm. So building these skills, these emotional intelligence capacities, it improves your listening skills. It improves your authenticity in front of customers so you can yeah. show your best self to them. All of these factors are critically important. And as I said, I mean, oftentimes, I know in the work that I do, there's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And that pressure, that stress affects people in a variety of different ways. And having a good first understanding of when you're feeling stressed, and then second, having strategies or tactics to be able to address that stress through different outlets or different ways of thinking, ways of being are really important. And that translates into even better customer service and better customer support. When you're working with a client or or a situation that's really high stress, it doesn't really matter if you're fixing the problem, if you're not supporting Mm -hmm. the customer and helping them through whatever it is that they're going through. If there's a, a system that's down, yes, you need to get the system up and running. And yes, you need to take some critical actions. But getting through all of that and then saying, you know, thank you and hanging up the phone will not be good customer service. You need to, it's not enough. You have to address the emotional elements. I know we we had a situation where we were working with a customer and they were very upset with the current situation of the project, the current status of the project. And our team started to use language like, you know, we need to fix this team member, we need to fix this mm-hmm. customer, not just the, the problem, but you know, she's not being cooperative. She's finding ways to block the project, mm-hmm. which may or may not have been true, but that wasn't the point. The right. point was that we had to take a step back and say, look, she's trying to have a successful project, just like we're trying to have a successful project. She's trying to impress her boss. She's trying to get mm-hmm. through this. Whatever it is, and we started to talk about all the places where we have common interests and common needs. And through that, then we're able to kind of bring ourselves to a place where we could provide better service rather than telling this person that she's doing something wrong, which would okay. not have helped the project. It wouldn't have helped us and it wouldn't have helped her. So right, that's right. a small example of uh, how we've used this in service and support. Yeah. And at the end of the day, bringing it back always to that human aspect, because we are all human. You you can be the smartest person in the room, but your goals can be blocked if you are missing that piece that allows you to connect with others and communicate on a level that moves the whole group forward in a positive way. Um, So it, it, it really is incredible the way that you approach these things in services and support. And I think it's a great example that others should adopt in being successful in their engagements. So those are the things that we do with our customers. And those are the outcomes that it leads to, you know, positivity and continuing long-term relationships really. But how have we incorporated these practices into our services and support teams to kind of get them started? I know, Andrew, you gave some really awesome examples 
of how you go into a meeting sometimes or engage with the team. So if you could just elaborate a little bit on that, that would be great. Yeah. I mean, some some of the, the teams that I've worked with, we've even started with a minute to arrive. So taking a minute as you enter the meeting to think and reflect and maybe even let go of whatever that meeting was just before, whatever that incident was that you were working on and allowing yourself the gift of being present for whatever this current meeting is going to be about. And also not kind of grasping or thinking about what this meeting outcome should be for yourself, kind of giving yourself a minute to just arrive and be present. It sometimes feels like a lot of extra work. Some people might say, well, you know, I really don't have that minute. I'm jumping from meeting to meeting. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that that minute is time well spent to be able to reorient yourself and have a proper meeting. Some other things that we do, I mean, I'm speaking later today, actually, with one team to give them an introduction to mindfulness and emotional intelligence, a 15 minute snippets Mm -hmm. with some practice, explaining a lot of the things that we're talking about here, about why it's important. And this is a project management team, mainly. Mm -hmm. So not quite services and supports, but same principle. These leaders need these skills. And I'm going to be inviting them to learn and practice with me and see where that takes them. That's wonderful. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've also had presentations on a much larger scale at global kickoff meetings and things like this. So yeah. it's, it's incorporated in many, many different ways. I love that minute to arrive because we are all jumping from one meeting to the next. And sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves and carry over emotions from conversations that you know happened this morning. And for me personally, sometimes I feel myself going and going and going and never taking a second to slow. And to be perfectly honest, my productivity is not as great when I don't take a second to breathe and center myself and come back to where I am in the moment as it is when I do. So I love that minute to arrive. I think that that's something I'm going to start implementing for myself when I hop into meetings from now on. And it's amazing. Even just that small conversation. I mean, you can hear the change in tone in your voice as you talk about being present versus Mm -hmm. running from meeting to meeting. Uh, it's subtle, but you can feel it. And, you know, I hope the listeners are going to be able to feel it through this podcast as well. It's quite, it's quite something. It is. Absolutely. Peter, we'll bring it back to you for the last question and, and kind of the wrap up here. So we talked about all of the great things that are already happening at SAP that have been growing over the last X amount of years. So where do you see the future of this practice going at SAP? That's a great question. I mean, building on all what what has been shared, the key is really that you learn to notice more where am I on autopilot, where am I reacting on on automatic habit patterns, and we all do that, and how to become back to a sense of presence. You know, if I'm just running, 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 next meeting, what's next, what's next? We're not present, you know, to notice, oh, um, let's take a short moment to pause, to settle down the nervous system, and science is proving that the balance of hormones in your blood is shifting, that your capacity to be more present and to do a better job is growing. So autopilot to aware is really one key. And to your question, how do I see the future at SAP? Integrating it more, making it more normal, demystifying more so that people understand this is, we're not 
dancing in white robes in a meadow and then smoking <laughs> incense. That's, <laughs> that's, that's all the time. <laughs> Not all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't tell the secrets here. No, it, it is. It is about learning to train this mental muscle to train the way how you relate to the world and it's really training is a great analogy you can practice and you have to practice it like a muscle that's that's why we call it the global mindfulness practice so mm -hmm. it's not a thought now let's be mindful it's literally when you do this awareness practices that we introduce in the classes and in the talks if you practice them the structure and the functioning of your brain is literally changing our brain can change and it is changing by the way we use it. So that's where I see the future of mindfulness at SAP and also beyond, that it becomes mm -hmm. a completely normal thing. Normal as we know, we drink water throughout the day. It helps our, the health of our body or jogging actually, going for a run is helpful or some cardiovascular exercise for the body. We all know that not everybody's doing it, but I think it's common sense in broad Western society. And mindfulness will become as normal. Trainings for mindfulness-based emotional intelligences, mental practices, and yeah, to find more ways to bring it to all different parts of SAP and to our customers. And by that, helping people to have a more thriving and more, more happy and hopefully also slightly more peaceful life. Mm, I love that. Maybe just one last note on that, because we've all had to extend our personal and work lives, almost mesh them together into one. So I think this topic is as important as ever. And in strengthening your mental capacity to be able to center and differentiate between your moods in the moment and bringing yourself back to center. And that does truly affect the physical body as well. I mean, we can all attest to that. So I look forward to seeing this grow even more exponentially within and outside of SAP. And, and I really, really appreciate the both of you and the work that you do. And as I'm sure do many other people inside and outside of SAP. So thank you so much, both of you for being here and talking about this incredible topic. For our listeners, just to reiterate what Peter said earlier, please check out the Global Mindfulness Practice at SAP. Again, it's an easy, easy website to remember, sap.com forward slash mindfulness. I'll also put a link to it um, in the podcast episode as well. Um, but Again, thank you both so much for being here and I look forward to seeing this practice grow. Thank you for My having pleasure. me. Thank you.